You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. See it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. I think it's human nature to act in a strange way when you're holding back some really big information like that. Um, yeah, I think they were both kind of acting out in weird ways because they were hiding a big secret. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. We're day drinking some mango carts right now. It's a good day. It is a good day. Um, Before we begin the podcast, I have two announcements to make. One announcement is we're going to be at CrimeCon. If you guys did not know, it's going to be in Orlando, Florida, first weekend of May, and you can use our code DEGREE2020 to get 10% off your passes. Yes. We're going to have a live show. Mm-hmm. Right, Billy? Uh, we brought a cooler last year. We, we brought a cool- podcast row. I know. If you guys see us on podcast row, we probably Ask us for a beer. We probably we'll have will one. have mimosas. Yeah. Um, my second announcement before we get into the day is we are still doing our competition for, not competition, but giveaway for um, podcast reviews on the podcast Apple app. So leave us a great review. Leave your Instagram on the in the handle or in the review, and we're going to choose our favorites. Mm-hmm. And we're going to read off our favorite for this week at the end of the episode. Correct. So, Billy, what is today? Today is Discover What Your Name Means Day. <laughs> I already know what my name means. You do? Oh, yours is like a Greek thing. It wow. means protector of humankind. My name oh. means protector, um, but it's, it's more about protecting your head. That's what uh, William means. Really? Protecting yes. your head? Yeah. Emotionally? Like Wilhelm, it comes from helmet, yes. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Not emotionally, no. Uh, I don't know. Certainly not. <laughs> you guys- Certainly not. <laughs> Sadly, I'm pretty sure after looking up the naming of my name, I think all names mean protector. <laughs> Is yours <laughs> mean that too? May, mine means may God protect. Oh, wow. Yes. Well, that's profound, that Jacqueline. Her- we all mean to protect. That's sure. right. That's good. We're and all protective. It's also National Dance the Waltz Day. National Grammar Day, please, people. Grammar is a your, lost art. Your and your are not the same. They're, they're there not. and there. Come on. They're there and they're not yes. the same either. All right. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you.
In 2005, a 30-year-old pageant queen and teacher named Tara Grinstead went missing. When this happened, and in the years following her disappearance, knowledge of the case was contained primarily to the small town of Osceola, Georgia. But not many beyond the city limits knew of the bizarre disappearance. For 12 years, the community, her family, and law enforcement were baffled. But all of that changed when a filmmaker named Payne Lindsay started digging into the details. Payne is a unique kind of first degree for us in that he was intrigued by a story and started following leads and subsequently falling into rabbit holes, determined to push this case forward. And he ultimately succeeded. For those of you who have not listened to season one of Payne's podcast, Up and Vanished, which focuses on Tara Grinstead's case, we're going to lay out in broad strokes all of the events that occurred. Now, keep in mind that this is an incredibly robust investigation that lasted well over a decade. But at its heart, the case is a classic and devastating locked door mystery where a young woman seemingly vanished into thin air. Why did you zero in on Tara's case? I looked at a whole bunch of cases. Um, honestly, like thinking back, I don't even remember which ones they were because I've looked at so many other missing persons cases since then. Um, there were a few in Georgia, I remember that. But I, Tara's case, to me, I, I kept being drawn back to it because, well, one, it was just the biggest cold case in my state. And um, I was kind of familiar with the area. That was uh, that was big. But uh, I think the, the biggest point to me, I, I just was just generally fascinated by her disappearance. Now, let's start with the setting of the Tara Grinstead disappearance. According to 11 Alive News, Osceola is a quaint southern town with a population under 4,000. And in 2005, it had actually had a population of about 3.3 thousand. It prides itself on its annual Sweet Potato Festival, which also has a parade. And it's held in October, draws folks from all over Georgia to celebrate this sweet vegetable each year. And it's a proud tradition they've been doing since 1961. So as long as anyone could remember, Osceola was known as the Sweet Potato Festival place. But that was about to change. And today's case takes us to Sunday, October 23rd of 2005. Gold Digger by Kanye West featuring Jamie Foxx was topping the charts. And The Fog and Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were Rabbit were in theaters. Right. So on Sunday, the 23rd of October, Tara Grinstead's mother couldn't reach her daughter which was odd. They talked frequently. And she ended up being very concerned, and she called a family friend. Um, and it was actually a detective, and his name was Detective Heath Dykes. And Heath had known Tara forever and became close with the family. And he was an officer with the Perry Police Department, which is a neighboring jurisdiction to Osceola. So Tara's mother explained to Heath the situation, I can't reach Tara, that's very odd, and kind of asked him if he would mind going over and checking on her. So Heath arrived at Tara's house, but he couldn't get there right away. So he ended up getting there around midnight, just after midnight on this Sunday. So Tara's mother couldn't reach her all day. Heath arrived around 12, 1230. He knocks on the door several times. No one answers. So he ended up leaving his business card wedged in the door, and then he left. And it wasn't until the following morning on Monday that alarm bells started going off for people around Tara. And this is because she doesn't show up to work. Tara was an 11th grade history teacher at Irwin County High School, and teachers and her peers started to begin to worry. Coworkers called the police, who went to their home, 
who went to her home where she lived alone to do a welfare check on her. And one of the first things that they noticed was this business card that was wedged in the front door of Tara's house. And that card, again, belonged to Detective Heath Dykes of the Perry PD. Her house was locked and her car was outside in the driveway. Police were able to get inside, and once they were inside, they found her cell phone inside the house, and there was a broken clock lamp in her bedroom. But her purse and her keys were gone. And the other outstanding thing that they saw was a latex glove, and it's the kind that was worn by coroners and the police that was found in the front yard. So the investigation is now going to start in earnest. And the police work to ID everybody in Tara's family, her friends, her colleagues, which was easy given the small size of Osceola. It was truly one of those towns where everyone knew everybody, everyone was connected to everybody. So where do you, once you say, all right, Tara's case, it's a locked door mystery, where did she go? How do you start? I don't know. Even if I were to you know, start all over again, I'd tell you the same thing. Even having experienced what I experienced and going through it all, I would say, I have no idea. I just started to, started asking questions, and um, I couldn't get anybody to talk to me in the beginning. Nobody at all. And so I, I would have talked to anybody at that point just to learn more about Tara herself. So I, that's what I did. I, I just went to people who I knew knew Tara to see what they knew, what they had heard, and just started adding all that up. Initially, I, I learned that I mean, she was, obviously she was um, in beauty pageants. She was a teacher uh, locally there. She was very popular. Osceola is a tiny place. I mean, everybody knew who Tara was. Everyone always says that. But this this town is 3,000 people. She's a very pretty woman. Um, she's very popular, very nice. Everyone knew who Tara was. So when she went missing, it was like, holy shit, what, what happened here? This doesn't make any sense. So they talked to Tara's mother, and they learn that she had grown concerned uh, the evening prior and had asked Detective Dykes to check in on her. And that explained the presence of that business card at Tara's house. So the next thing they needed to do was zero in on the time that the last time that Tara had either been seen or been spoken to. And it turns out that many friends and community members had seen Tara two days prior on Saturday. At 4 p.m. on Saturday, Tara had attended the Miss Sweet Potato pageant in the nearby town of Fitzgerald. And Tara was a former beauty queen herself, and she had actually won the title of Miss Tifton three times and competed in the Miss Georgia beauty pageant. Her pageant days were over, but she still remained involved in the local pageant circuit, and she acted as a coach and a mentor to the young contestants. Right. So she was at the pageant that day, and she went to sort of support the girls who she mentored through these pageants. But the pageant ended at 7.30 p.m., And one of the contestants that day recalled walking Tara to her car out to the parking lot. Tara left and drove back from Fitzgerald to Osceola. Tara arrived in Osceola at 7.45 p.m. and then went to the home of her friend, Rhett Roberts, who was her landlord's son. So the father of Rhett Roberts owned the house she lived in. And the two of them talked for a few minutes before Tara left to head to a barbecue at the home of her friend, Troy Davis. And this house was just a few houses down from Rhett Roberts's house. So she just walked over there. But around 11 p.m., Tara said she had to leave the barbecue. And she told everybody there that she wanted to leave because she wanted to go home and watch a videotape of the pageant that had taken place earlier that day. So Troy walked Tara to her car. They said goodbye and she drove off. 
So after the police do all this questioning of the people who know Tara, everyone that day, as far as they could tell, this interaction between Tara and Troy was the last time Tara had been seen by anyone. That doesn't really make any sense. I mean, she was seen at this barbecue on a Saturday night and then supposedly went home and her house is like a few minutes from there and she was never seen ever again, but her car makes it home. It's like, what actually happened? It didn't make any sense. Her car sits in the driveway. Her dog wags its tail from the backyard. Even the light in her jack-o'-lantern still shines. It seems as if 30-year-old Tara Grinstead will be home any minute. That's exactly what friends, family, and students hope will happen. Several days since her disappearance, they're making ribbons to wear and flyers to hand out. Anything to make people aware. I'm having her next semester. So we gotta find her so we can get her. Dana Wilder goes to school at Irwin County High, where Tara teaches. Tara did her hair for a pageant Saturday morning. The news of Tara's disappearance is tough to take. My mom sat me down and I started crying because I was with her Saturday and it's so weird because I walked her out to her car and then I haven't seen her since. Tara's principal, Bobby Connor, made the call to get police involved Monday morning. They told me that uh, she was not in and she had not called him, which is very unusual. And that sort of raised the red flag that something was amiss. Connor says Tara is a great teacher on the fast track to being a principal herself. He says Tara's students look to her for answers to history. Now they want to know where she is. They're trying to survive. That's also what Tara's family is trying to do. Her older sister, Anita Gaddis, still lives in Hawkinsville and won't leave Osceola until her sister is found. I hope someone did not take advantage of her big heart. A heart Gaddis says is trusting, compassionate, and dependable. It's like looking in that little snow globe and you see the little village and you see everybody's world in there and you just watch what it looks like and it, it's not happening to you. As Gaddis looks at her sister's home, she says the only sign of something wrong is the fingerprint dust. Other than that, the house looks perfect. So now the police need to learn everything that they can about Tara, because in order to locate her, they need to have an understanding of who she was, what she did in her spare time, and information regarding her friendships and, of course, romantic relationships. And Tara was a beloved history teacher, like I said, at the Irwin County High School, and she was in the process of taking additional classes to work towards her doctorate degree in education administration. So in speaking to Tara's family, the police learned that Tara was very close to them. And Tara and her sister corresponded every day via email. And nobody in the family was aware of anything that was out of the ordinary that was going on in Tara's life. Right. And of course, they're trying to figure out, like, could she be voluntarily missing? Is there a situation that have, could have yeah. called her away? Who knows? But meanwhile, while the officers were in their information seeking phase, they were talking to people Tara knew, trying to figure out what was going on in her life. Tara's home was being combed through by CSI searching for evidence. Could there be a crime scene here? So here's what they found. They had the business card from Heath Dykes in the, in the door. And uh, Dolly Madison, who was Tara's dog, was found in the house unharmed. Tara's purse and keys were missing, but her cell phone was in the bedroom charging on the nightstand. And while there were no signs of a struggle or a break-in, no broken windows, no kicked-in doors, there was also a clock lamp that was broken in two pieces next to Tara's bed. They also found a clasp from a necklace, but I don't think they found this right away. And it no. was like wedged mm -hmm. between two pieces of wood mm -hmm. in the floor. 
So, and outside the house, as Billy mentioned, Tara's car was in the driveway. It was unlocked, and there was $100 in the center console. And remember, on the front lawn, they found this glove, a medical-grade surgical latex glove. What is the significance of this thing? Right. So police then turn their attention towards any romantic relationships that Tara may have been engaged in, because that's always usually very important. Right. They want to know everything about past and present. So they methodically tracked down and interviewed many of the men who had played a key role in her romantic life. The first person they heard about was Tara's ex-boyfriend, Marcus Harper, and he was an army ranger. And previously he'd been a police officer and an Iraqi war vet. And Tara and Marcus had been on and off for over five years, and he had actually been overseas in the Middle East for the bulk of 2005, but returned home a month before Tara's disappearance. The police then learned that Tara and Marcus had a heated argument on October 18th, and that was only days before Tara had went missing. So this is kind of sketchy. She told multiple friends about this argument, and it had stemmed from somebody new that Marcus was dating. An 18-year-old girl. And they're 30. And they're 30. It's so a big that's age a difference. Big, yeah, big age difference. Right. So where was Marcus that night? So he said he was at the White Horse Saloon, and he left there after 1 a.m. So at 1.49 a.m., a friend of Marcus's, an Osceola police officer named Sean Fletcher, he learned that Marcus had been calling for him. He was looking for him. So he met up with his friend Marcus, and the two hung out while Fletcher was on duty. They actually did his rounds together, which is a little odd. And at 2.45 that night, they answered a call together and a local drunk had actually entered a house and wouldn't leave. So Marcus can be placed there. Then they got a call that the same guy had frightened a woman at a gas station. So they went there. So we're placing Marcus in all these like different places and he's with a police officer, supposedly. And around 4.30 a.m., Marcus went home. And it sounds like a very convenient alibi. I was with my police officer friend. I was doing rounds with him. Everything's good. So tell us about, do you start with the boyfriend and tell us about the boyfriend? Um, I mean, there were so many reasons that you could uh, point at the boyfriend and say, this guy may have done something. It's just too weird, right? He's in town during this two week period. He's been gone for a while and, you know, when she goes missing, he just happens to be back in town, this tiny little town. He happens to be there. That's so odd. He's driving around that night uh, in a police car. Um, what's he doing? You know, like, how did this happen right under his nose? How did he not do this? Um, so he was he's the most obvious choice. He's the most obvious choice. But um, there was nothing that really like, I mean, there was no nothing really proved anything. It was just like it just looked weird. But that was the problem. You could, you know, I I could present to you Marcus as a suspect and make a compelling argument as to why he doesn't look uh, very innocent. But I could do the same thing about a dozen other people in the same case. Right. So the next person the police want to speak to is Detective Heath Dykes from that neighboring jurisdiction. And this, remember, is the guy whose business card they found wedged in Tara Grinstead's door. So they look into him. And a neighbor told the police that Heath Dykes showed up at Tara's house rather often. And in the days surrounding her disappearance, Heath Dykes had called Tara dozens of times and left numerous voicemails. And while Payne was doing his podcast, he learned that Heath Dykes had actually spoken with Tara the night she went missing. Tara was at this barbecue we mentioned, and the two talked over the phone, with Heath Dykes being at home with his wife. 
So if they were such good friends, why would Heath Dykes left his business card there? And that's very interesting. And I think yeah. uh, what we have to say about just this case in general is much of this is like this small town gossip. Mm-hmm. Payne gleaned a lot of this from interviews. It's like he found out that Heath was over there, whatever. Like this, this isn't stuff you'll find in articles. Right. And what I, I was uh, combing web sleuths and I was reading that Heath and Tara had been friends since high school. Because when you read about this stuff it sounds like this like older man thing. Yeah. And it's not, Heath was like kind of hurt. Heath was her her age. age. Yeah. Yeah. So they had been friends a long time. So whether they're friends or lovers, like it's not clear. Well, and it's like they're, they know each other well. And usually if you're going to leave a business card at somebody's house, it's going to be a stranger. So that was a very weird move that he made. Yeah. Yes. And we talked about though, how it's been proven though, that Tara's mother called and asked him to do this. So Tara's mother clearly wasn't privy to the affair. Yeah. If there was one. And if he left, if there was an affair and he left the card, what does that say? Right. And we had kind of been talking about this before we started recording. And is, is that a power move Mm -hmm. where it's like, you're not answering your phone. Why aren't you home? I'm going to leave this just to let you know I was here. Who are you with? Yeah. I found out that you were missing like from your mom, which Tara wouldn't have been, you know, known about. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I found out about this. I come here. Tara's not home. Her car's here. She's probably picked up by somebody. She's yeah. probably at somebody's house. Yeah. Like come at it from like a jealous lover's point of view. It the only reason you'd leave a business card power move is to be like I was here marking your territory. Well, remember, remember because he also left dozens of messages uh, on her voicemail too. So was it her cell phone or her house phone? Not sure. Interesting. So Heath Dykes looks real bad. Right. The, okay. What do you make of the incessant calling? The, I mean, the overlooking of the glove. You were promoted to detective. You have a, you know, inquisitive mind, a yeah. puzzle solving mind. And your, your family friend has called saying Tara's missing. Like we can't reach her. And you go over there to check things out. And then you miss the glove, a latex glove or rubber glove in the grass. How? That That's yeah. strange. Unless... Yeah. His brain was focused on something else, like his relationship with Tara, mm-hmm. and not actually maybe he's jealous, maybe he's suspicious of where she is, mm-hmm. as opposed yeah. to who's inside, as opposed to should I be looking for signs of something wrong? Yeah. I mean, that's where my brain goes with that, where yeah. if you're hung up and sort of sucked into this I- idea that a love interest is doing something you don't want them to do, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, I think he... He liked Tara a lot. I think that they you probably had some sort of thing going on. You know, I I mean I don't I don't just think that. I I, I basically know that at this point from you know close friends of theirs, you know, confirming this. Um but yeah, that they kinda had a, a, a fling going on. And, you know, he he loved her a lot. And so when he went there that night, you know, maybe he didn't see that glove. Maybe he was more concerned about her safety and where she was or what they said last to each other, that kind of thing. Um, but before you know, all, before you have all the information and you're looking at just that scene there where this cop goes up there and somehow t- doesn't see this latex glove in the yard and leaves his business card all proper. It's like, what the hell is this guy doing? That doesn't make any sense. The business card makes me uncomfortable. And it is almost like he wanted her to see it when she got home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I know you like you're I lying you're to me yeah. or, you know, because it, it seems sort of right. like a, a flex 
not in a, in a threatening, violent way, but but just like I know. Imagine that know, you have I a girlfriend, yeah. right, and right, you right. can't reach her, and she's supposed to be there, and or maybe he saw something through a window and was like, "I'm going to let you know I saw you," or that I was. You know, it it's seems, a very like passive aggressive flex. It felt yes right. because if if you can call her, why would you? And you've left a million messages already. Seems odd. Why you do definitely you, don't why need do you to leave, leave your business card. No, it was yeah. a, it was a shock value thing. It was something. Yeah. yeah. You hurt me. It was some like calling card. I was uh, I was here. I was here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's very informal or something. Yeah. yeah. It makes him look really bad. Really bad. Keith Dykes. Interesting. Keith Dykes. So the police also learned that a man had been arrested in March of that same year for banging on the windows of Tara's home and then cursing at officers who tried to get him under control. So the man that was arrested for doing this was a man named Anthony Vickers. He was a former student of Tara's. And he was only 18 when this happened. Right. So he is over 10 years younger than her. Right. And one of the officers that got to her house to answer this call... It was Marcus's cop buddy, Sean Fletcher. The same one who was his alibi. Right. So this is, it's interesting. Very. And Tara was not happy with Sean because he told Marcus about this incident. So she hated Sean because he basically was like, dude, your girlfriend over five years, there's this 18 year old at her house. Mm-hmm. Bang. Like, you know, clearly Anthony Vickers is doing this. He's probably in the emotional throes of like teenage love. You're not <laughs> speaking to me. Let me in. The yeah. crazy shit you do when you're 18. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of questions at this point. You see a lot of characters, a lot of people that are swirling around this investigation. And, but there's still, the bottom line is there's still no sign of Tara. Where is she? Is she okay? And who is involved with this thing? You know, everyone pointed the the boyfriend first because, hey, statistically, that's what happens. But they can never prove that. There, there was this other guy, he thanks a uh, police officer, they can never prove that. And so things just kind of just fizzled out and no one ever knew what happened to her. Didn't really have any enemies. And so it didn't really make sense as to why someone would want to harm her. This is such a small town. You know, is a drifter coming through here some sort of serial killer? There are so many red herrings in this story, too, mm-hmm. which is, I think, so what makes many. it so, so many. engaging and alluring and pe- people get really wrapped up in it. Because there was never enough information to disprove anything. And I think that's kind of what where the police messed up. They didn't go out of the, they left everything wide open. So someone like Marcus for over a decade had fingers pointed at him and people like me came around and started from square one and had to be like, okay, did Marcus do it? Because they never disproved anything. They couldn't prove anything, but they also never disproved anything, which I think was a a fault of theirs when they may have had information that said otherwise. You, you see this a lot when it's the spouse, ex-spouse, where there's just a cloud of suspicion over them until it's solved or forever when they're not solved. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts in the beginning? Like, who did you gravitate towards? I mean, I was bouncing around from everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, from the neighbor to, you know, Marcus to Heath Dykes, uh, Anthony Vickers. I was kind of bouncing around everywhere. and. It's funny to say there's all these red herrings, and it's true, but uh, you don't know what the red herrings are until you get this, you know, hardcore or, you know, cold hard fact later on. And so as I was building this in real time, making this podcast in real time, every lead that I presented, it was wholeheartedly what I was on the most. I was on the hunt, and this is what was in my, in my forefront. 
on my mind and I was putting it out there and I was almost like, that's why I think Up and Vanish season one is so special because I was really kind of piecing this thing together and you get to, to hear that. And sometimes people give me shit for, you know, pointing the finger at somebody in the beginning, but I, I really, I never pointed the finger at anybody. I was just presenting the facts and maybe my focus was more here or there, no more than anyone else had focused on somebody or any TV show that had covered Tara's case over the past decade. But you were get, kind of getting this live look at where my head is at, and it's all over the place, but of course I'm going to dive deep into every detail. What the hell else am I going to do? I mean, I'll, I'll say I never was like, this is the guy, but there were several times where I'm like, that doesn't look very good for that person, and you know, right now I'm pushing my chips, not all of them, but most of them over here. But I never was, nothing was ever convincing enough. You know, I'd hear something or, you know, find some sort of piece of information that would, you know, almost completely convince me of somebody's guilt, but it wouldn't all the way add up. And I, I couldn't get myself to get over the hump and overlook it and just like omit this one detail that made it seem like maybe there was something else that happened. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally. First with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor Meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor Meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, 
Dior, Stodd, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. So no one really knew what was going on, but what people who did know Tara knew she wouldn't abandon her job. I mean, she had a master's degree in education. She was working towards her doctorate because she wanted to be a principal. Like she wouldn't just abandon her job. So people were scared. So the searches for Tara commenced and people put a ton of resources towards finding her. There were foot searches. There were aerial searches. There were searches on horseback. And as time went by, billboards were put up. There were tip lines that were set up. Private investigators were hired and a website was implemented to try to like seek out tips about what could have happened to Tara. And meanwhile, Tara school had a somber cloud hovering over it. Students and faculty could be seen comforting each other in the halls. And there was a public prayer vigil at the Irwin County courthouse. The GBI offered a reward of $30,000 for any information pertaining to her case. And that reward amount was bumped up to 80 K once the investigation had hit the two week mark with no movement and no sign of Tara. And it was eventually bumped up to hundred K. And those who knew Tara were devastated. And the small town of Osceola, it was consumed by this disappearance of Tara. And it's all the community talked about. And there were many whispers of concern. There was a lot of rumors. Everybody was talking about who could have done this. It's like, is she involved in the student? Is it Marcus? Is it the Keith Dykes? There's a lot of people that look bad. It's a lot. There really is. Well, that's why this case has become sort of like a cultural phenomenon. It's one of those things where it's like there are so many viable suspects. Yeah. In it for 12 years and and no one gets arrested. And and, and me and Jack, sorry, sorry, Jack, but me and Alexis know this when you're looking for cases. And this is what, you know, Payne was a guy that was a filmmaker. He wasn't a true crime guy. He was looking at cases. And then as he starts, starts, you know, to use a a metaphor, he's peeling off this onion and and he's he's just like, wow, look at this thing here and this thing here. And it starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger in terms Mm -hmm. of who could have done this and all of these different layers of this case. That's what made it a case that he wanted to delve into and devote his life to. And it really did change the course of his life. Well, it is just interesting that, you know, you can take any situation and kind of angle it any sort of way, depending on who you think is guilty and your perception and your perception, your, of, so, your own experiences. Well, and like you're saying, if, there, if there's so many small town aspects of it, where mm-hmm. so much is this kind of like murmuring of people's relationships and, you know, why they're doing the things that they're doing, that it's, it's very interesting. Very. So everyone in Osceola believed that there would be some resolution in this case. They're seeing all these resources being put towards finding Tara, solving this case. And it seemed like there would be that resolution. And there were so many potential suspects in this case, like we said. But the years moved past and that just didn't happen. Days turned into weeks, weeks into months, like over a decade. And hope that Tara would be found alive dwindled more and more with every year. And while it was painful, people started to accept the fact that it would be Tara's remains that would be found and not Tara. 
it was sort of solidified for everybody in 2010 when a probate judge declared Tara Grinstead legally dead. So I think for everybody that was probably like a demarcation yeah. where you're no longer searching for her. I mean, people try to keep hope alive as long mm. as they can. But despite this declaration of her being legally dead, there were no arrests. There was no movement. And there, the case was cold. And it remained that way pretty much until Payne Lindsay delved into it and got his hands on it. You know, after, I guess, quote unquote, inserting myself into this decade old cold case, people started to recognize who I was as that podcast guy who was doing a podcast on this case before there were any big breaks in the case and just people talking about it and people just hitting me up directly with information. I just didn't really see that. I, I was just so used to in the beginning having to search for it high and low. Then all of a sudden I was kind of weeding through information to say, hey, is this bullshit or not? And so that was the first immediate impact that I saw directly to me, which is the flow of information towards me. The police did their due diligence and went through each potential suspect. And now we're going to go over each person of interest at this point. Right. So let's start with Marcus Harper, the ex of five years who had just happened to get back into town the month before Tara went missing, who had this sort of on again, off again, very sort of tumultuous relationship with Tara. So suspicion loomed over Marcus. But like we said, he was able to account for his activities during the window of time that Tara would have vanished from her house based on this timeline and based on his alibi. But, you know, if you listen to Payne's podcast, they do a really great job of painting sort of like a picture of this relationship. Tara had diary entries. She had letters she had written to Marcus's mother. She had said a lot of very cryptic, yeah. uh, scary things to him that could be interpreted a number of ways. Right. Um, you know, she was very upset about this new 18 year old girlfriend. She was very upset. Marcus didn't want to marry her or marry anyone. He didn't believe in marriage. And there was a lot of like push pull and you felt her sort of when you were listening to what she was saying in these letters, she was totally like succumbing to the fact she's like I actually don't need to marry you I'll let's just be together it's fine I'm sorry I was hung up on that so she, there was desperation like she wanted to save yeah. that relationship he didn't want to be in it it seemed like to me that's how I took it so but you know this coming out and people are hearing this Marcus looks really bad yeah like Marcus looks like a prime suspect and there's and there's also the idea of his alibi too because he is he's with a friend doing rounds with the friend uh, who was a, who's a police officer after being at a bar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's at a bar after 1 a.m. and then he goes and hangs out with a friend and then goes and like checks on locked doors and does all this thing and is answering calls with a friend. It's just odd. It's not something that we've ever heard of in big cities. Maybe it does happen in small cities, but it's just it's strange. Yeah. But as far as his alibi, I mean, they, they know that he called the police station to get in touch right. and someone over the radio was like, uh, Sean, Marcus is looking for you. That sounds provable. That sounds like, mm-hmm. it sounds like they checked that out. Yeah. And while it is sketchy, it's not like, it's not like, Oh yeah, I was, def- I was at home with my husband. Exactly. Yeah. And while we, we know these stories now, like making your, mur- you know, like cops, yeah, they're humans too. A percentage of them are also pieces of shit. Yeah. Like criminals are. It's like, it, this sounds like it was looked into. Right. Enough. You know what I mean? Corroborated in the sense that like this guy 
was really here. I mean, in 2005, it's not like we're talking about the 1980s. There was probably a lot more like digital documentation. Than yeah. They had cell phones. Like, I'm sure they proved it. So the next person of interest was obviously Detective Heath Dykes. He was married and a father of two, but was reportedly in a relationship with Tara. He had left over a dozen phone messages to her that weekend on her answering machine, and he was the last known person to be at her house. Again, he had left that business card. And we were talking about it doesn't really appear to be the signs of someone trying to cover their tracks because he was like, I'm literally at your house. Here is my business card. Here's proof of me being here. Right. And it's possible that Tara was having an affair with Heath Dykes. The two had known each other forever. They were family friends. But the problem is that 99% of this info claiming that they were involved was entirely based off of small town gossip. Well, and that's the problem with a lot of this case. Right. It's like, it's all based on gossip. This you'll, You won't find any of this in official reports because it's very like... Well, and we know how telephone works. Game of telephone, you exactly. Know, it's, it could start with something that's completely innocent and turn into a full-blown affair. Yeah. And then we have Anthony Vickers, who is her former student that was banging on her windows, and then the cops were called. And searches were actually done on property that was owned by the Vickers family in Ray, Georgia, on November 4th, to no avail. So all of the men questioned during the probe of Tara's disappearance, they denied any involvement, and the police didn't make any arrests. But there was still this lingering doubt going on in this small town, looking people sideways, thinking, you know what, is this person involved? Is that person involved? And it really was the three of them that people had. There was this cloud of suspicion over them for this entire time. I can't even imagine being one of them if they were not responsible. Having to live in that small town where you're a celebrity. Yeah. But in an infamous way. Right. That's, That's bad. Not ideal. No. So this is all the information that Payne had when he started. I mean, he started digging in to this case and he started familiarizing himself with the details and with Osceola, Georgia itself. So Payne started making progress and eventually he felt he had enough information to start releasing episodes of Up and Vanished. And the first episode premiered in August of 2016 and it made a huge splash in Osceola. And the podcast renewed interest and revived interest in Tara's case. And for the first time in over 10 years, people were buzzing about it again. And for the first time in 10 years, tips were coming in again. Then we begin tonight with breaking news. Investigators announcing the beginning of the end of a 12-year murder mystery. Yeah, this all surrounds the disappearance of Georgia beauty queen and teacher Tara Grinstead. She seemingly vanished without a trace in 2005, but police have now charged a suspect with her murder. Closure has finally come for this very small community of Osceola. For years, so many people wondered and searched for this school teacher, not knowing what had happened to her. But they have found out this afternoon their worst fears have been realized. How did that feel when you heard about the arrest? Um, I mean, I will never forget that morning. It was one that I chose to get up super early. And I was here actually in this building in a much smaller office at that time on the eighth floor. And I was here super early. I got here at like six in the morning. And I was, uh, it was the first time ever that I was going to finish an episode early. We had a two week break uh, in between episode 12 and what was going to be 13. And I had had like the finishing touches on the episode. I was kind of just going back through it just to kind of like tweak some sound stuff. 
And I got an email from someone who works at one of the news stations here and said, hey, I don't have much information, but apparently there's a press conference today in Osceola at the courthouse about Tara Grinstead. And I was like, okay. And so I responded back. I was like, that sounds like, you know, what's it about? And they're like, no clue, but we're going. And I was like, okay. So I kind of sat there for a few minutes. I was like, press conference? They've never done a press conference on Tara Grinstead. I started calling some people, and then I quickly kind of just, like, snapped out of it and realized, okay, holy shit, this is some sort of big information. And then before I knew it, Good Morning America was calling me and asking me for details, and I, I was panicking because I was like, I know nothing about what's going to happen, and everyone's asking me what the answer is. So I, I just immediately dropped what I was doing and just drove straight to Osceola from here got there like right before the press conference started. Finally, 12 years after Tara had first vanished from her home in Osceola, and six months after the first episode of Up and Vanished aired, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation announced the arrest of 33-year-old Ryan Alexander Duke. Now you're all going to ask yourself, who the hell is Ryan Alexander Duke? We're going to get to that. They charge him with one count of malice murder, two counts of felony murder, aggravated assault, burglary, and concealing the death of another. And at this press conference, the GBI thanked the media for helping to keep the spotlight on the case, up and vanished included. It was in that three and a half hour drive to South Georgia that I learned of Ryan Duke's name, and Bo Duke's name before they announced it. And it was, there's this whole kind of dilemma I had. Um, I was that day in the courthouse, I thought that they were going to announce two names, two arrests, but they announced one name, Ryan Duke. And I was like, wait, that's not right. That's not the information I had. There's two guys. And I just kept hearing it and I knew it to be true. And I was like, I, I have to put this out there. I don't know what they're waiting on or what they're doing. And uh, so I decided to censor his name. Going back on it, I probably wouldn't have done that. I mean, maybe I still would. But like, you know, there's a guy who tells a story about Bo Dukes, but I censored his name. And then that week, he's arrested. So the following week, I like the whole rewind effect and played that same clip and just took the censor away. I was like, here's the fucking guy right here, Bo Dukes. And... From that point forward, it, it, it started off, the first half of Up and Vanished Season 1 was just me looking into a cold case, trying to figure out anything that I could find, any information. The second half is me figuring out how these two guys are involved in Tara's murder in real time, and also kind of discovering some of the missteps the police took a long time ago that could have had this thing solved in 2005. So everybody was shocked after this arrest. Bo Dukes, he's 34, and he was another former student at the same school where Tara was a teacher, and he was charged with concealing a death and tampering with evidence. So we know very little about these guys at this point, but we do know that they both pleaded not guilty when they were indicted. And it's interesting because there's been two arrests in the case, right? Ryan Duke and Bo Dukes. And no relation, which is super weird. So weird. 
these guys were former students. They were former students of hers. Of hers, yes. So they knew her. They she, knew her. She was the teacher. Yes. And it's uh, it's just super weird. And early, early on, I'm talking about episode one or two, and I, when I was making the first couple episodes, behind the scenes with Maurice, uh, the forensic investigator who I worked with a little bit on the case, I was looking at former students. And that was kind of a theory that he'd been sort of peddling for a while. And it was um, it was just so inappropriate to to bring up. It was like I didn't I couldn't find a way to explore it that was, you know, not sounding insensitive. And so I, I to even like go that route, I needed something that was way more substantial. And so that was actually the reason I didn't ever just drop that in the podcast and let it bubble over and see what I got. These two guys had not been on anybody's radar at all, but they had been friends with each other since grade school. Ryan Duke and Bo Dukes graduated from Irwin County High School three years before Tara disappeared. Ryan had faced previous charges for a DUI in 2010. He was released on bond, but the police report said that his mother asked police to take him back to jail, which is very interesting. I find that very interesting. It's something my parents would do. It's like, go serve your time. Yep. They'd be like, take, get rid of me to learn a fucking lesson. (laughs) Yes. My my grandparents. My parents. My grandparents said that to my dad. Really? My parents would do the same thing. If I did something terrible, they'd be like, well, that's what you get. You have to learn your lesson. Exactly. And Bo Dukes has a criminal record. He was arrested and convicted of theft in 2013 for stealing $150,000 in goods from the army, for which he served a little over two years of time and required to attend AA meetings for once a week for the year after release. And Bo Dukes was a unit supply specialist for the army at the time of these thefts. So what did you learn first about Ryan? Everything I heard about Ryan Duke was that he was a nice guy. And I, I really, I couldn't find anything bad about him. I mean, people said he, you know, he would, would get drunk sometimes and he, you know, he'd be sad or emotional, that kind of thing. But no one had anything bad to say about Ryan Duke, even if you were trying to find it. And I found that to be odd. Uh, Bo Dukes, however, I mean, you couldn't find a good thing about him. And it was just like this weird... I mean, looking at this guy on the left, and it's like, uh, how are these guys so different? And one of them's charged with murder. And maybe that's just how it happened. But it was just so weird that it, it just instantly felt like the roles had been switched. You only heard good things about Ryan Duke. And you heard everything bad about Bo Dukes. And you just couldn't wrap your mind around why or how or what in, in what scenario ever Ryan Duke could even be capable of killing Tara Grinstead. You know, and that was, that was, we didn't know that. We, we, okay, he's charged with murder. What were the circumstances? How did he kill her? Where did he kill her? What happened? Ryan Duke eventually confessed. And in the GBI documents that were leaked online anonymously, Ryan disclosed that he was looking for drug money when he broke into a random house. And which happened to be Tara's house. And he tried to steal Tara's purse and keys. And he said that she caught him in the act. He punched her. And that resulted in her death. Ryan told the investigators he had been bothered for years by what he did. And he also said that he called Tara's home from a payphone hours after the attack. 
just to see if she would answer. And the GBI agents who wrote this in the report, they had known about this phone call for years, but they hadn't made it public. Right. So to them, when Ryan said, I had made this phone call from this payphone, they had known about this payphone phone call. They just didn't know who had called. Right. And they never released it. So for them, the fact that this guy knew about this it's why they hold stuff back. It's like he's the only one who knows. So yeah. it, this is it's their such a, dude. It's such a weird, random detail. Detail. It's just like, and, and listen, I, I've oh, I'm, I've always been very critical of sometimes when police do hold things back. I think they hold a little bit too, too a lot of things back too much. But mm-hmm. with this one, this seems as innocuous enough. If somebody did say it and say, "Yeah, I did that," I'm like, boom, that's the guy. Right. So we understand why they held it back, but let's look at why Ryan called. So. His side of the story is that he called because he wanted to see if Tara was still alive. He's like, I, he wasn't sure if he killed her or not, according to these leaked documents or whatever. Yeah. So when she didn't answer is when in his head, he realized he had killed her. So at this point, he knew he needed to move her body. So he deduced she was dead and he called in his friend Bo Dukes to help him. So they went to Tara's house They got back in, they got her body, they wrapped her in a blanket, and they placed her in Bo's truck. Then they drove her to an orchard that was owned by a pecan orchard that was owned by Bo's uncle, and they put her body there. But a day later, they went back, they wanted to bring her deeper into into these woods, and they started burning the body, which took several days to complete. And so all this comes to light and, you know, the next day there's more than 40 people searching this pecan orchard for Tara's remains. What did you find out? Um, like what happened? So what we uh, what we found out was that there was, uh, I mean, they found, uh, they found Tara's remains in this pecan orchard and there was very few remains left, but I, I do know that they confirmed that it was her out there. And Ryan Duke and Bo Dukes uh, burned her body out there. But what happened before that is still, to this day, kind of in question. There's, there's plenty of stories. I think the question now is, I think it's likely that it happened at Tara's house. The current narrative that the police are presenting is, is something along the lines of Ryan Duke breaking into her home when she was already in there asleep and killing her with his bare hands. That's super vague, but that's essentially what happened. Um, But that, to me, I mean, maybe that's exactly what happened. But I'm just like, why the hell did he get up in the middle of the night, all messed up, somehow make it over to Tara's house specifically, and break into her home and kill her? Why? For what reason? I mean, maybe that's what happened, sure. But why? Other than being maybe a sexual, like, thrill killer. Because, I mean, motive. Maybe, yeah. If you can call that a motive. Because people always ask why. And it's it's because he picked her. But the why is, like, the biggest part of this case, right? It's like you still can't, nobody can figure it out. Yeah. The why. And maybe he has some infatuation with with Tara. Maybe maybe that's what we don't know, right? So you haven't sort of encountered anybody that said, yeah, he had a crush on his teacher or anything like that. I mean, I know that he had crushes on other teachers. So, I mean, it's totally possible. I mean, you know, I'm definitely not in, you know, Team Ryan Duke. I definitely think that Ryan Duke 
either killed Tara or had his hand in it one way or another. And did he ever, he, has he spoken at all? He spoke a little bit in our TV special. Okay. But he's being super vague still. It's like, it's one of two things. Either Ryan Duke 100% did kill Tara on his own and then just got Bo Dukes to help him out, right? And he remembers that just fine. Or he just literally doesn't know what happened. He, for whatever reason, whether he was just too messed up, whatever details he does know are just little blips or from what someone else told him. And he doesn't know exactly what happened. But for years, he thought that he was responsible. But maybe for the first time, he's thinking that maybe it didn't go down how he kind of put in his head and that there was something else that happened. Now that he's hearing all these other stories and other details that kind of contradict that. So I think that, you know, it's one of those two things. And something that we haven't discussed yet is the tip that actually led to the identification of Bo and Ryan as the culprits of Tara's murder. The tip came in from a woman named Brooke Sheridan, and she was Bo Duke's girlfriend at the time of Tara's disappearance. She came forward and said that Bo told her that he had helped dispose of Tara's body after Ryan had killed her. She told CBS's 48 Hours, quote, I felt like I was going to be sick. I didn't know who I was staring at. I didn't know who he was. And while this tip from Brooke that led to Bo and Ryan's arrest was made outside of the podcast, there was no denying that Payne's Up and Vanished podcast played a role in solving Tara Grinstead's murder. I mean, I think that, you know, p- people want to crucify me for this answer, but I think that absolutely the podcast helped create a situation that let the truth come out. Did I, with, you know, my own hands, find this single piece of evidence that proved who did it? Absolutely not. Was I looking here or there, you know, elsewhere beforehand? Sure. Yes, I was. But I mean, Bo Dukes is texting before the arrest about up and vanished. He texting about that to people because it's on his mind. And then he gets drunk one night and tells his girlfriend what he knows that he burned a body out here. I mean, to me, that's, that, that's the proof that you're looking for. And I, I had a decision to make at that moment, in, at the press conference. It was to either just do this, kind of wipe my hands clean of this, and say, wow, this has been crazy. I'll let the police take it from here. Or all those things that were really, now they were bothering me even more, these questions about what happened to Tara. It's like, it's almost like we were starting all over again. You know, we, we knew nothing, but now we know this. We, knew, we know Ryan Duke. We know Bo Dukes. That's it. That's not enough. And so in that moment, I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, ride this bull. I'm going to figure out what the hell happened here. Starting all over again, basically, with these two guys. And that was a shitstorm. I mean, it really was. And do you have a theory? Um, I mean, I think those two guys were involved. I think that there's other names of people that I'm not going to say their names, but people that could be involved in this or just bystanders who definitely knew. Right. People who definitely knew. Well, so Bo told he said like 12 people, right, or something like a dozen people. There's a bunch of confusing stories about who was where. But the bottom line is that there were other people I know for a fact who Ryan and Bo told. Right. And they never said anything. And why do, why do you think nobody had said anything until 
her name was Brooke, right? That came out. I think in in some people's defense, they probably didn't believe it because, I mean, guess who else didn't believe it? The law enforcement. Or they didn't want to believe it because they wanted to believe that Marcus did it. So, you know, those are things that we, you know, we find out in, in hindsight, really. But I think that, uh, yeah, other people knew and either they were too scared to come forward, which they obviously were too scared because they, they would have, or they had some sort of incentive to hide it or for whatever reason just didn't believe it. The podcast is the catalyst for everything. Y- yes. It the- made it made Bo and Ryan nervous. So when you're nervous, you start doing spontaneous utterances. And I think Bo started getting act. Bo listened to the podcast. Well, I don't know. And again, we've all listened to Up and Vanished, but it is a very robust podcast. In a very robust case. In a very robust case. Um, however, Bo Dukes allegedly got word of the podcast or listened to the podcast and then started commenting on the up and vanished message boards, kind of revealing like different information. Like he could not help Help himself. himself. And as far as the stuff that was going on on the message boards, who was that? And I don't know, just sort of walk us through that and how it's not just, you know, when you're doing a podcast like this, it's not, it's not in a vacuum. You know, people are going to want to discuss it. Mm-hmm. They're discussing some certain places. Where was that discussion happening on the message boards? And how did people start injecting themselves in and then realize that the heat was going to start coming on them? It was, I mean, all the discussion board stuff was complete chaos. It was insane. I mean, it was a, you could have done a reality show or something just based on the behind the scenes shit that we were dealing with in this discussion board. And at first, it was literally just so townspeople and other listeners and, you know, armchair detectives could share theories and maybe someone with a piece of information comes up on there one day and and gives us a little tidbit or, or just something like that. No big deal. But then later on, it became this huge, huge thing where the GBI is calling me, asking asking me for people's uh, usernames and all kind of information about certain people on there and threatening to do this and that. I'm like, oh my God, this is insane right now. It just, it, it was just meant for people to discuss, uh, for people to discuss the case. And then people like Bo Dukes popped up on there feeling like a badass, right? There's this really popular podcast about this missing woman. Whoa, he's, you know, in his head, he's like, yeah, I, I burned that person's body. I have, I have a story to tell. And he gets on my discussion board and has the nerve to just blab about it. And I'm like, this guy's fucking crazy. What's, what's wrong with this guy? I'm like, of course I'm going to put this in the podcast, dude. Like, and he I'm should, sorry. He like, should know that knowing yeah. that you're doing your podcast. His narcissism you outweighed his self-preservation. I think it's human nature to act in a strange way when you're holding back some really big information like that. Um, yeah, I think they were both kind of acting out in weird ways because they were hiding a big secret. And um, I think for Bo, there was more of a uh, a bragging style to it. I think that, you know, he, he felt however he's, you know, I don't know how he felt, but I think that in a lot of ways he was, he thought it was badass. I think he did. 
and the way he talked about it to other people was like it was something real crazy and cool that he was a part of. And Ryan, you, you don't really get that. You kind of wonder what Ryan knew exactly, you know? And that's why, to me, it was always, like, so easy to put together the idea that maybe, I'm not saying it's true, but, like, maybe someone like Bo told Ryan what happened. And, and Ryan's like, holy shit, I can't believe I did that. Was it a therapist? The girl that he was talking to on Twitter that yeah. ended up giving you the receipts of their conversation. Mm -hmm. That was the most insane thing I ever heard in my life. Yeah. I can't believe that he was just disclosing all this very personal information about the situation to a stranger. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I think he um, got a thrill out of that. I think he liked playing the victim and telling someone how hard this has been for him and, and he was you saying know, the lord's been, prayer yeah like, and he's just had to live with this for so long and he just decided that he couldn't take it and he shut the hell up dude i don't care no one cares man anything you say and i find i'm gonna put it in my podcast and that's basically what i told him you know what i'm saying and yep, like, going right in there yeah i i spent a lot of time trying to figure out what happened to tara and um i met a lot of people and you know, I stuck my neck out there too. You know what I'm saying? I, I really did. And we were all in this together as listeners, as everyone who wanted to know, as, as townspeople. And so when it came down to the wire and people like Bo Dukes were just blabbing about what they did to Tara's body, I didn't mean like, that's, that's when I pulled the I'm not a real journalist card. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't give a shit, dude. Like, you know, and that's kind of how I feel. I'm just like, you're on my podcast. I make the rules now. And like, I, I, just, I wanted to use this thing that I had built to do as much good as possible. And if, and if that meant me rattling someone's cage a little bit more and letting a little bit of myself come out, I didn't care because it, it felt right. And I think that, I think people could hear that. And it's kind of what made it special to a degree. Without the podcast, this does not happen. It's 12 years, but. <laughs> when you have somebody saying, oh, you know what? Um, this had nothing to do with it. You have 12 years with no new information. Completely cold. And then a podcast comes out and then six months later, everything unfolds and is he, it, without the podcast this doesn't happen correct this does not get solved but right. and, and isn't that what the main thing that people tell people's families is like keep people interested keep it in the yes. media like get people talking about it because it pr puts pressure on authorities to get, take care of shit well and and the people who kill people are these like narcissists who cannot they're like moths to a flame for the attention of it and it's like right people who kill are generally these people so if you create sort of a whether it's tangible or not, I mean, whether it's internet, podcast, you create sort of a climate of interest. Yeah. Bottom line is the communication, the talking about it. And that's one of the things that we always talk about with these podcasts. There's, there's so many true, true crime podcasts. People are wondering, are they exploitative? Are they this or that? The bottom line is, is that if you keep talking about something, it keeps it at the, the front of everyone's mind, at the front of everyone's conversations. And then answers are going to come out from that. And that's the biggest thing that we need to remember when we're talking about all of this stuff is that this doesn't happen without the podcast. It doesn't. 
Right. And again, going back to the fact that Bo Dukes and Ryan Duke were not on anybody's radar. If the podcast wasn't happening, they would have been completely scot-free, does not matter. Yes. And the only reason why they got nervous is because of the podcast. Right. This this crime would have gone unsolved forever. Bo Dukes was convicted during his trial. He was convicted of lying to the GBI and concealing Tara's death. And he was sentenced to the maximum, which was 25 years. And Ryan Duke's case has still not gone to trial due to some legal maneuvering. Right. Apparently, his lawyers have filed like 30 motions. It's just sort of held up. But we know what's going to happen. So there you go. I don't have any regrets about things that I did. I think that I learned a lot. I think that there's things that I would maybe do differently only in hindsight, I did the best that I could at the time with what I knew. And that's all I could do. And I'm going to, I will keep doing that as I move forward in whatever I'm doing, whatever podcast I'm doing next. So, and I know that I, I spent, I mean, I lost so much sleep just thinking about this case over and over again, and not just the case, but also exactly how I would how I would present it the the amount of thinking and time and effort um, that goes into making something that even I could understand is just unimaginable it's almost like each episode looking back on it is a footprint of kind of what I remember because I was just so in the middle of something it was hard to step out and look at it. So each week as I made an episode, it was like the one chance I got to kind of reflect on what I did know. And it was a finished product and it was out there. It was done. It was too late to take it back, right? It takes a lot out of you to to juggle all these real life relationships and to deal with this heavy material uh, so closely. It's one thing to talk about it or to listen to it, but to be involved with it and to put your name and your reputation, your safety on the line over and over again, it's, um, I mean, you definitely give something away to do that, that you never get back. And I learned that. The, these stories stay with you forever. I will always be asked about Tara Grinstead's case for the rest of my life. All right. Well, big thank you to Payne Lindsay for being our first degree guest. If you guys have not listened to the Up and Vanish podcast, get ready for the rest of your life to be getting taken over because it's a long one, but it is absolutely amazing. Follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Billy Jensen at Alexis Linkletter at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group. We're talking a lot of true crime. Go get some merch and don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. I'm going to read my favorite review before we get into some killing time. Are you guys ready? Yes. Yeah. It comes from this plant mommy. Ooh. And she says on Wednesdays, we razzle dazzle. Yes. Hump day is much better with these three. It's my quote, run errands and do chores while listening to the first degree day. I love their dynamic and the flow in telling these stories while shining a light on the victim's lives, as well as the palate cleansing banter at the end with 
the Killing Time, Alexis. Oh, mm. if you enjoy that whilst, Killing Time, that Killing yeah, Time. Delete that one. Yeah. Oh, sorry. At the end, with quote Killing Time. If you enjoy well-structured true crime storytelling with snippets of playful repartee, then get ready to binge right through this and feel like you've gained three new friends. Oh, very sweet. So don't forget to leave us a review and stick around because we're going to be killing some time with pain. So remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But not that close. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. All right, welcome to a very special episode of Killing Time. We still have pain with us, and uh, we're just going to jump right in, I think. Right, Billy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Pain, what's your biggest fear? <laughs> um, Wait, you, by the, Billy, by the way, <laughs> asking me that question. By the way, we did this before we did our actual episode, but we told Pain it's our way to like groom him and like get him to trust us. You tricked me. So then we can get all of the juicy shit. What do you guys want from what me? What kind of mind tricks work on you? I don't know, actually. Let's, let's find try out. Some. Yeah. Have you ever been hypnotized before? I haven't. That no. scares the shit out of me. Do you know that that's what's happening right now? Oh, wow. You're right. <laughs> Ask me anything. Yeah, we got him. <laughs> This is just like our, we're going to talk some shit. We're going to ask you some questions. All of our listeners obviously love you because you're the king of true crime podcasting. Am I though? Kind of. Who else? Would we're be? hoping to surpass who's you. Your, who's your you king? Know. Yeah. <laughs> who's your king of true crime podcasting or queen? Oh, gosh. I don't even know. Yeah, what are your favorite true crime podcasts? I mean, I like a little bit of everything. I mean, I like, uh, I've always liked criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Phoebe. Her voice is her voice is amazing. Beautiful. And she was the Phoebe. Remember, and she was the only thing that was out there after Serial. Like Serial came out, and then that's the, why I like it. So the so the articles were always about okay, Serial's done. What do I do now? And then it's like check out Criminal. Did that, she yeah. start like right after Serial? I, I think ended? it was right around the same time. I think she might have been going a little bit, but it was like the it was the only thing that was out. I'm still stuck in 2016. It's like, yeah, I'm like, oh, criminal. I'm like naming old podcasts. Serial. Criminal's uh, still good. It stands the test of time. I, I still listen to every episode. And she, I, I love her storytelling because she's not, she doesn't exploit anybody. There's not always murder. There's not always even, uh, you know, a violent act. She talks about all sorts of stuff. I love her. And her stories are interesting. She's a genius. The last one I listened to was about some lady in Australia that 
cleaned up crime scenes and mm-hmm. it was all just like her narrative of how oh, she yeah. got into it and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is nobody thinks about that. So it's very interesting. And they had another one about how this woman's mother stole her identity and she didn't find out till after the mom died. It was just fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good so now it's just, yes. yeah. Anything that's that's different because we know that like there's so much and you and you try doing this as well with Radio Rental where it's just like I got to we, we got to do something different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's why my favorite podcast is uh, Jake Brennan's Disgrace. Oh, yeah. I just, I just love that thing. And uh, it's just a different way of storytelling. And it's very, you know, he's he writes like poetry. Yeah. And I like how yeah. he's just like, yeah, I was never a writer. You did it's so fucking good. <laughs> it's like bullshit. Yeah, yeah you like no, Jake's awesome. Yeah, we what, uh, we love him. And what made you start Radio Rental after having like a number of successful podcasts? Is something that's different. Um, I mean, a few reasons. I think one of them for me personally, I think people just because of what they hear from me first uh, was up and vanished. They kind of put me in this box as like this true crime guy. Yeah. And I kind of view myself more as a creative person, storyteller kind of person. And this was kind of my stab at kind of building my own world and making something that was a little less sensitive and more fun and kind of, you know, poking at some of the suspense elements a little bit more and, you know, not just talking about murder. So when you say your world, what's that buzz? Do you hear? Oh. God damn it, Pam. That's Pam. <laughs> Shit. My well, bad. Is like, is it me? I'm like, is it me? Is it me? There's no way. For it's once, it's not. The professional um, over here. So when you're saying that uh, creating this own, your own world here and a new world, is Radio Rental and the whole, is that going to be part of other stuff? Are you creating a world in the same way that like the Marvel Cinema Universe? It really that's so there's going to be like a weird hotel coming up. There's going to be a weird this. It's By the way, like, yeah. we just saw. Do I sound weird? OK, we just saw all of your marketing that you did for Radio Rental and it was amazing. Thank I you. loved it so much. You had like little VHS tapes full of all these goodies and you were putting them around the city, right? We actually did like a little hide and seek contest thing here where we hid a bunch of random VHS tapes for people to find. It was kind of cool. I love that. People love it's engaging. Yeah, it's like getting people out in the world instead of just commenting on like well, that's an the, Instagram post. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. I mean, to answer your question, but the goal is to kind of build this fictional world. I mean, it's all true stories in yeah. Radio Rental, which is the fun part. It's the real person telling you a real scary story that they experienced from their perspective. But it all lives inside this fictional world that I built called Radio Rental, which is this VHS store hosted by Rain Wilson, and he's playing this. A character named Terry Carnation, and he's giving these tapes out to you as a listener, and he's just fucking weird and funny. And <laughs> yeah, so so that's what I want to know is like, so I there's there's a strip mall, right? Right, Radio Rentals in the strip mall. There's other weird shit going on in that strip mall. I mean, not to give like too many of my ideas away <laughs> of like what could potentially happen in the world of Radio Rental, but I, I wanted to maybe one day just like at the end of an episode, all of a sudden you just leave the store. And you're like out in the world and like, you know, where is Radio Rental? What what decade are you in? You know, just Mm -hmm. kind of poke at that. You know, it could be a Radio Rental Presents, you know, spinoff series or a scripted thing. Whatever. When you're building a whole world like that, there's so many things that you could do. Uh, yeah, like we're gonna drink and 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 come up with ideas because like <laughs> like there's gonna be like like uh, I could see like the, the weird like clown hotel down the street. It's like what's going on there? Right. And it's just like you know what? And that's a whole nother yeah. series. You know? Yeah, so it's cool. I dig it. 
Yeah, I just want to have fun with it. I mean, you know, I, I like uh, investigative podcasts, um, obviously, um, but there's more parts to me and I have more passions and I want to kind of explore the different things I can do in the podcasting space. And this is kind of my first step in that direction. And you were, a, you, you know, you started out as a filmmaker. Yeah. And you did music videos and things and... Yeah, you get. I could see that you don't want to get you know pigeonholed into this thing of for like, sure. Oh, oh, I'm a crime guy, which is not really what you just found a case and and you're just like this is what I want to tell. Yeah, but um, you know, being able, but you can't make that total leap and say, all right, I'm going to write, write the next Harry Potter book or whatever. You've got to go. You know, you're, you're <laughs> right. still you're still within the world. Yep. You're within the crime world. People get that. Doing a little TV with oxygen, um, which the new series our season comes out when. Yes, so the Up and Vanish TV series comes out February twenty second. Yep. And so that's on di- that has different cases, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. Is is it like anthology? Like each episode's a different thing? It'll be six episodes, five new cases. Uh, one of them is Crystal Risinger from Colorado, which was right. the subject of season two of the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, what is the thing you hated most about doing television? <laughs> Um, Talking to three all of people. Is that an answer? I love television. <laughs> yeah, I hate it. Oh. No, I mean, like, I love TV. It. I mean, personally, the my experience of making the show, it was just so grueling. Yeah. It was just yeah. very, very difficult. I mean, 15-hour days in these tiny-ass towns where you're having McDonald's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And oh, just well, feeling I like I don't know shit. What the, what's wrong with that? <laughs> I mean, it's it's good on the first day. Have you seen Supersize Me? You <laughs> yeah. know, like he likes it at yeah. first, but then he really doesn't like it. You right. know, that's kind of what happened to mm-hmm. me. Um, I mean, it's just really difficult too. Kind of like you know, I spent you know a year plus looking into a missing persons case for Up and Vanish the podcast. Yeah, but kind of shrinking that down and doing that in a couple of weeks. And having cameras all around you and no privacy and all these people pointing at you to do this and to do that. And then also dealing with these real people who, you know, are really hoping you're going to help them find their loved one. And kind of balancing that. It's just fucking hard. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was difficult. There's a manner that is really... Because I've been producing true crime TV for like eight years. And it's just... It is so difficult to just manage the real and respect the real lives of the people you're talking about absolutely and not give false hopes and also just try to tell their loved one's story with integrity and not let you know because networks always want to but they want something narrative yeah they want to they want to find out about whatever sex life they had and this and that and just pushing back on that is it's just hard because you want to be a good person yeah and work with integrity and when you're under a lot of different pressures because people want a juicy story and the families don't always want like skeleton, their dead loved ones' skeletons out of the closets, you know, to tarnish their memory. Yeah, I said no so many times yeah. to so many different and ideas. That's you, and that's yeah. what you have to you do. You have to. You have to say no. Because you'll fuck yourself over And that's the, the thing, too. and that's one of the great things about having a successful podcast and having a successful brand is that you can say no. Yeah. You know? The thing it's, is, though, everyone's always like, you know, no is the most powerful word. You can learn how to say no. What they don't tell you is that if you say no, there's fucking consequences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're like, okay, cool. It's it's no from you? Okay, well, here's what's going to happen now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make your life really, <laughs> really hard. Really difficult. Yeah. And so, like, it, it was just a tug of war to kind of make this thing. But I will say uh, the end result is pretty cool. And we did make some progress on every single one of these cases. Yeah. And, I mean, not to give too much away, but 
we do find the boogeyman at the end of every one of these wow. uh, stories you see on TV. Really? And I go knock on that person's door. And I put a camera in their face, and it's pretty crazy. That's awesome. Every single Shit. time. Yeah. It's like catfish, but f- fucked up. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, it is crazy. <laughs> I can't wait to watch it. I know. I'm so excited. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. 